Okay. So lucky enough to have my my good friend um, who's who's joining us today, and this is this is pretty cool. So I appreciate you being open and, and willing to to come in here and talk. But you got a cool story, cool background. Um, naval intelligence officer, founder of a startup company, yeah. uh, heavily influenced by your grandfather and, and the family family dynamic. So for everybody listening, uh, I'll introduce you to my good buddy Rich Halverson, and, uh, and welcome to the uh, welcome to the show, man. <laughs> glad to be here. Glad to uh, continue the the long, rich history of intelligence officers on your program, <laughs> um, and to have the distinguished privilege of killing your podcast in its infancy as the least interesting <laughs> possible person to interview. That is com- complete lie, man. Considering like <clears throat> I I'm sure we can talk about some of the cool stuff you did in in Iraq and working with some names of people that I feel like a lot of people know who these guys are. I may have been um, interesting in the past, but I'm actively <laughs> on a quest to be the least interesting person possible right now. Um, staring at grass seed uh, chemistry this morning and, and what's going to plant well. Um, but yes, happy to be here and, and unpack some of that. Yeah. Yeah, man. So it's pretty cool working with uh, joint homes and what you guys are trying to do, trying to do there. With uh, with veterans and or active duty military and other things like, but I, I mean we can we can get to that. We'll start with you know just like you're from born raised California, Southern California kid. I think that's I think that's right. First like, joint exists because of my time in service and like everything's story. So I think it's really <clears throat> awesome to have a chance to just talk about stories. I think they're incredibly meaningful and rich and drive a lot of what we do. Mine started in Southern California. <coughs> um, pretty standard life. I think I, I mentioned like I managed to make the jump from Chino to Newport Beach and inspired the hit TV show, The O.C. Um, <laughs> but but at the time, it was, you know, it was pretty standard. Chino, um, mom worked in insurance. She was a claims adjuster turned manager. I had no idea what she did. Still don't to this day. She did it for 40 years. Um, my dad was a printing press mechanic, um, and I grew up in Chino with the strawberry fields and cow fields just on every single corner. Um, Before it was built up, and they, I th- and they took all that. <laughs> I think they built it up some. It was a pretty, I mean, it was a weird place. It smelled like strawberries and cow fields, which is like an odd mix. Um, but it was... Yeah, I mean, it had always had a reputation back then, too, with the, the maximum security prison. Um, so I was keenly aware as a child that Chino was not uh, Beverly Hills. Um, but it was, I mean, it was cool. It's a suburb, right? How did you guys end up there? You said your grandfather. So, yeah, my... He, uh, did he move there? And that's how your mom got to that point? My grandfather had been... Grandmother and grandfather on my mom's side both grew up in the Pacific Northwest, like Oregon, okay. Washington. Yeah. And then he came in at the tail end of World War II and was kind of rolled up in the Navy, went through flight school. Like, <laughs> yeah, tell the story, man. He sounds like kind of a badass dude, <laughs> the way you said that in your in I mean, your, like a lot of bio. folks best then, like back, <laughs> back in that era, it was, it was different, right? Like <clears throat> mobilizing for World War II, like welcome to the military, get behind, <laughs> get in this plane and learn how to fly it, right? Um, Corsairs, and actually there's so many interesting stories, um, and he just never talked about any of them. That's been the hard part. I spent years trying to kind of peel that like back. I want, yeah. He never said a word. I mean, so I probably, my whole yeah. life, I probably heard the guy say 15 words. He yeah. just silent Sam, right? 
Um, but some of the guys he served with wrote books later, and so you get like little vignettes of stories. Like when he finished flight school, he got orders to El Toro, and he had to go from Florida to California, and he and a buddy um, decided rather than drive. <coughs> they had um, a few weeks to report, and so they bought a 37 Piper Cub off like a classified ad. It had like a hole in the wing, and the brakes didn't work, and there's like not enough room for their sea bags, so they had to like leave some stuff in the trash and like <laughs> but um in the author's accounting that my my grandfather's friend he's like bill just made sure he had like his like th- his main uniforms and a little spot where he could keep his graham crackers <laughs> in the side of the plane and that was it and so they they made their way across the country like jumping out with whoever wasn't flying would jump out and like hold the wings Wait, so and they, drag their feet. They flew from Florida to El Toro. <laughs> they flew all the way. They ran. The engine failed and they landed in some field and like, I guess it was a, a military base and guys came out with like guns drawn on them and they did the whole like stealing pies out of people's windows and like landing in their fields and taking off again. Um, but then World War II ended before he deployed. I mean, he got out there. What he was he? He, was, he trained in what? What? Fine what? Horse airs. Horse airs? Okay. Uh, which is the sexiest yeah, it's pretty... plane ever. Um and he got out and went to college up at University of Washington and then I think kind of started getting set up um, and then decided to go back to the military, join the Marine Corps. <coughs> and they, he replatformed. He was still flying. Um, and then he eventually moved into to the Chinook. Um, so he went from fixed wing, find a Corsair plane to... Yeah. To I'm going to be a halo pilot yeah. and flying helicopters. And I don't know if they were <laughs> new at the time, transition. but those, those Chinooks were pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then he, so the yeah, double, he was double rotors on top. Right. About it. Yeah, the frog, as they call them. <laughs> Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so he was one of the first guys in Korea and did a couple, a couple of turns over there. Um, same thing in Vietnam. One of the first guys in and that like police force. Um, but you said like he wasn't going to go, right? And that what you said in your when we were talking, you. He, he wanted to fly. So that's okay. the one thing I do know is okay. that um, he was going to get promoted. That's what you said. He was going to get promoted, and he was like, "No, f this. I, I want to keep flying. I don't want to be a desk." Yeah. So he he desk. made. He was a major in the Marine Corps, and he um, obviously by the time he'd been major, he'd done a couple admin tours where like you're not flying, you're running the school, um, and he hated it. And so they had a program at the time to 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 build out more pilots where they took senior 03s and junior 04s and then converted them to warrant officer. So he actually went down to warrant officer <clears throat> so he could just fly. So it's just flight tour after flight tour after flight tour. And so he did that and worked up towards the end as a, as a made it to, to gunner. <clears throat> I don't know if that's an, I've never, back then I don't know if it was like defined by a specific warrant rank or if it was just oh, W4s and W5s. Yeah. Um, he got out, so it was a W-5, he got out at like 30 years, and they retired him as an 04 or whatever, your highest pay grade. Um, but he, yeah, you think he's all... So started out, was supposed to be a Corsair pilot in World War II. Yeah. World War II ended, yeah, went he, to college. Came back. Came back in the Marine Corps, <clears throat> became a helicopter flew. pilot, and then just wanted to fly, and went, no big deal, went to Korea and Vietnam. He loved <laughs> flying. He, um, he had, I mean, those were, those were big... The Marine Corps was super busy, obviously. He had survived a few crashes, a couple in training and a couple in combat. Um, it, um, not all in helos. I think some were fixed, fixed wing in training. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. We don't want to get a helo is a bad rap. 
No. <laughs> or a worse rap than we already had. But there was one Hilo one in, in theater, and uh, it this was like where he almost had his career cut short. <coughs> Apologize for my voice. I don't speak much working from home. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you need, you need some water. <laughs> I offered you a glass. Um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've minimized my, my spoken language. Um, so it caught fire when it crashed, and he was the only survivor and had burns over like 70% of his body. A, like a local farmer saw it and pulled him out. Um, so it took him a while to claw back from that, but he, he wanted to stay in and fly and eventually got, got back in and he kept flying. Um, and then, yeah, at the end, they were, there weren't any other opportunities to fly, I think. Yeah. Um, so we got it like 30 years. But like, all, and this is all for everybody. This is your, your mother's, this is your right. grandfather on your mom's side. Mm-hmm. Um, so your mom, this is her Bill Poe. Yeah, this is her her father, you know, and a great influence. And so she grew up in a military military family. Yeah, he had three girls. Um, he gave up. God bless him. Trying to have a boy. Um, yeah, they moved around and and we're West Coast. <coughs> so my mom finished high high school in Southern California. Okay. And she fell in love with it and uh, decided to to come back to go to college. So she was going to UCI, UC, University of California Irvine. Mm-hmm. And that's when she met my dad, who'd grown up in uh, in Newport there. Awesome. Um, so his, my Again, dad's back, side. Back like apple orchards, strawberry fields before. Dude, the old Irvine, Irvine company is, we know it now. The old Irvine company is something that, interesting to read about if you ever do. But um, Yeah. Now that place, so, is, Hillary used to work, and she always talks about, well, she's growing up there too, you know, seeing that, that area around the Irvine Spectrum yeah. Center and all that, how it was just all strawberry fields and apple orchards and orange groves. Orange groves, and, yeah. Now it's nothing but condo buildings and business parks, and you know it's massive, crazy. I'm, excuse me, biased, obviously coming from California, but it's just such beautiful country. It's so diverse, and I do think that people people sleep on the agriculture background, right? And so it's obviously yeah. more developed now. But um, my dad's side of family was not military. I think my my grandfather on that side had come up in power plants. Um, and had done pretty well for himself working in power plants. Um, so they kind of grew up very different than my mom's family, which was kind of grandma's home, military spouse, like yeah. pretty tight ship, um, not a lot of luxury. And then my dad kind of had the opposite experience. Um, so they met while she was in college. But they they did move east to New York, <clears throat> Rochester, actually. And then okay. um, I think having a kid inspired them to come back so i was born they moved back just in time and i guess what they could afford at the time was over in chino um and just kind of build it out the suburbs were um homes were affordable <laughs> yeah uh, you can get a nice little spread um yeah they had a good setup but um that lasted until i was like 10 and they got divorced and kind of both moved further into orange county um so when they got, did you move, you lived with your mom? You stayed with your mom? Stayed with my mom okay. in uh, Chino for a little bit until she could make the move to Placentia, which is kind of next to Brea, yeah. Anaheim, yeah. Um, kind of central Orange County. My dad moved back to Newport Beach. Um, so she and I were living there in Placentia through junior high and then by high school, and the, the kind of big shift for me was that even before they were divorced, I'd been pretty independent. Like this was like like latchkey kid zone yeah. for a lot of folks. Um, Placentia is a much better place to have a bike to ride around than Chino. <laughs> um, Newport Beach, 
better still. Um, but the, the big thing for me was also education. Like the, the schools, I remember in Chino, like I, I had teachers who tried very hard to help and would like <clears throat> go to the library for me to like get books. And they're like, here, just take these books. And they, <clears throat> so for years I had kind of extra outside of class help to learn more, but it wasn't until Placentia was the first time there was like, I think probably just a more robust school. Mm-hmm. Um, they had like a gate program and after school activities. What's what's gate? gate program? Gifted and talented. <laughs> oh, yeah. but All right. It's just there were classes that, that you could at least kind of shuffle into to pursue more interests. And I was a yeah. huge nerd at this point. I was like a blossoming nerd. It's just <laughs> um, constantly, constantly reading. Um, I love school. It was also something to do on my own outside of home. Um, and Newport Beach was was amazing. So I ended up moving to Newport with my dad in high school because of Newport Harbor High School. Yeah. Which I was just, I would see it when right. I'd visit on the weekends. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. having, having lived right down the street from it, you know, knowing when I saw it, I was like, of course you went to school here. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the Saved by the Bell school. Right? It is. It's um, amazing. It's Classes get out when the surf is up. There's a surf <laughs> you know? team. Yeah. It's like, how is there a team for surfing? There's a sponsored surf team. And like, um, beach volleyball team yeah. and uh, a sailing team which I ended up <laughs> joining um, the the experience was great and just the amount of extracurriculars too um, again it was I, I was I love leaning into school because there's so many things to do and I was kind of writing my own schedule at this point and I also didn't have a college fund working in the background um, and so I started to think was it was it tough like go I feel like that high school might have been different back then, but were there a lot of kids, classmates, who were just, I hate to use the, you know what I'm trying to say. They're very well off. I, I don't know. And not coming from that, doesn't sound like you came from that background. You know, did you have any problems fitting in, feeling like you fit in? There were. Because high school was already a rough enough time, let alone moving to a new area, going to a new high school with people that. I don't know, you haven't grown up with and different socioeconomic background. Yeah, I think that there was some of that. It was not as bad as I think you might imagine. There was, I don't know, <clears throat> so like, I don't know at the, in the late 90s, 2000s, what the, the mix was exactly, but it felt like more old money. These these kids weren't super pretentious. I always had this image that the Corona Del Mar folks, our rival high school, were yeah. like worse off in that way. Um, but people seemed approachable. There were certainly examples of CDM. CDM. Um, but it was approachable. There's a lot of just nice kids, and I kind of floated a bunch. I think my what I enjoyed most about it was I would hang out with uh, stoners and skaters before school, and then the AP class kids here, and like it was super easy to move between groups and there wasn't a lot of social barriers if you just yeah showed okay. up and, and built connections that's awesome yeah um and that's just why i kind of i just leaned in hardest grade school but that's the thing about like i didn't real i guess i must have known on some level that it was a better opportunity than chino high school might have mm-hmm. been mm-hmm. um but i appreciate it much more now with a young kid <laughs> looking at school strategies <laughs> yeah. and the cost of private school uh, relative to opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah, Newport was awesome. I mean, it's but, but plus you're like, the beach is there. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, so it was, 
and Newport's great. I mean, it's the food in Southern California is amazing. Obviously, um, <laughs> you've been deployed a lot of places. You've lived a lot of places. You've lived in Newport Beach. I don't know what your opinion is, but no, I mean, um, it, I would say it was a culture shock in some ways. Not, not ridiculously slow. So it was more. Over time, just kind of seeing things was the culture shock of the area. But I can say unequivocally, it was the nicest place that I've ever lived in terms of things to do, the neighborhoods, people there. Uh, like, like you said, you're riding your bike around. You don't have to worry. I feel like the kids can kind of you know, go down the street to the 17th street with all the shops and places and like you can trust them to go down there and come back, you know, with not, without a hassle. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just freaking nice, man. Newport is, it is. It's probably I mean, San Diego there. obviously <clears throat> has a special place in my heart, but Newport is, was really, really cool. And Costa Mesa in general and all that, all that area. And to your point, the food, the Mexican food is yeah. – uh, we used to go to Mi Casa yeah. on 17th Street. Yeah. Every Sunday, we were regulars. We had our little spot where we sat at a high top. And now – I mean, we're still looking for it. We, there are some salsa. places – Yeah. There are some places that eh, – but if you ask Hillary, there's there's nothing like that. It's hard to The be. Mexican food in SoCal. I go back and forth with San Diego because my first – deep experience in San Diego was like right out of the academy when there was like two dozen of us like to be <laughs> yeah. newly free from prison in a beach <laughs> well, town hold on, hold on. With... Let's, get to, let's get to that like how did uh, you so I'm, I'm curious yeah. like how did you learn about the academy the naval academy and you know get interested in going there and that process because that's a pretty competitive spot to be trying to get into the naval academy from Newport Beach I remember for context watching with my mom to some work party she had for the army navy game and i remember thinking it was probably junior high like oh this is weird that guys like take a it's pretty cool like they're out there working on ships and then they get to take a break to come play football like a like a college student um <laughs> it's the navy versus the army <laughs> yeah this is awesome i it wasn't until I know. <laughs> sophomore year of high school i even became aware of service academies existing um like even hearing the name West Point, I didn't like fully understand what that was. Um, and it was through sailing, actually. <clears throat> a guy a couple years ahead of me, um, Troy Trieker, was going to the Naval Academy. And I started looking at it and then started to ask around. There's a, it seemed like the sailing program and the water polo program were big feeders to Navy. And so there was just kind of a yeah, – those our, folks knew. One of our classmates, right? From yeah. Like, from Joey Snellgrove was yeah. in my class at, at Newport Harbor. Yeah. Um, came in on the water, water polo. Um, so, yeah, I think Southern California water polo is a, a big feeder for Navy. Okay. Um, but, but that wasn't you. <laughs> no, no. In a lot of ways, no. Um, so the – but hearing about it and, like, seeing that it's free and then, again, with my grandfather's, I'd always – I was looking at the military already kind of as an option, just um, kind of inspired by, by him and the example that he always had in our lives – um, seeing this as a way to like one, go to college free. And then I heard that it was super hard to get into, which made it seem like a challenge. And I was like becoming incredibly competitive at this point in a lot of ways. Um, I kind of ran at it and did like the summer seminar and tried to apply early and, and managed to get in. Um, one thing that I think came up as I was kind of sitting and thinking before we, before we, uh, sat down about the story was the need to build in optionality and like 
I just think it's an important thing. It kind of been a thread through my life, and I didn't do it well enough early on. So I committed the Navy. I was like going in early. I feel good about the decision, but in hindsight, if I was advising, you know, sixteen-year-old Rich, like you should at least apply to a couple other like good schools just to have an option. And then if you choose, you chose the Navy, like you did it for the right reasons. You did it in lieu of something else. Same thing at like the two for seven. We all just shuffled back from summer like assignments. <laughs> like, where do I sign? Like, it would have been good to know. Like, well, the alternative to signing is I could transfer to this school that I happen to take three hours and apply. Yeah, and then you know yeah. why you're making the decision you're making. I think uh, in jobs, whatever career you're doing, as much as you love it, have you are you thinking about what opportunities might be available? Um, so, aside from you know, marriage, I think <laughs> a lot of <laughs> Other contracts and uh, commitments should be evaluated against alternatives um, periodically. But I didn't. Uh, I just said, screw it, let's go, let's see what happens. And uh, yeah, had like a week between high school and and uh, I day. And wow, then I met you. <laughs> I was just gonna say. I mean, that's that's kind of when I when our uh, paths crossed, right? Plebe year. Rich Alverson, yep, 29th company at the Naval Academy. All I remember, I mean, the first thing I remember distinctly is when you, like, you had your issue that we, you know, we talked about it and, but, uh, you know, coming back and all of a sudden it's like, yo, dude, Rich has got something wrong, man. Like he's, you can put your entire hand on his calf and like it makes an imprint <laughs> uh, it's like what's going on with this guy how weird right like plebe years a lot going on and then yeah we were on i didn't do a good job of explaining that for the listeners but you can kind of well it's you had a context. Health, you had a health issue yeah yeah <clears throat> our plebe year kidney disease so it was um kind of a plebe years of a, a wild time anyway but it was spring and we were I think we were just goofing around in some afternoon playing like soccer or field ball or something out of Hospital Point. Mm-hmm. And was I was it like, spring? I, for some reason, I remember it being like right after Plebe Summer, I, well, like I, in the fall. I only remember because I lost spring break yeah, okay. immediately. Um, and oh. it was, so we were playing and I think I was like taking off a pair of cleats and pulled my socks down and you could just, you know, sometimes there's a sock impression. Yeah. But mine was dramatic enough that like people looked and said, what's going <laughs> on weird. with your legs? <laughs> Um, and so it, my legs were swelling and I went like, oh, I don't know, check out hospital points, see what they say. And they took some tests. And you had had no, nothing before that, just, like indication, just, like just living life. Okay. Hating, All right. Maybe, but you don't remember. Hating plebe right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so they ran some tests and like the, the look on the doctor's face when he came in, just from like the basic, like pee in a cup test. He's like, uh, we, we're going to send you to Bethesda for more tests. <laughs> um, I guess my naval medicine man. <laughs> that's another. Yeah, that's a topic we can touch on. They, um, they, my kidneys were. I was just like losing protein. Like all my all the pro, essentially all my muscle mass was just draining out from my body. So they could see that, and they're like, "That's a big issue. Something's wrong with your kidneys. We don't know what it is. We have to schedule you for a biopsy immediately." Which was like, "Oh, spring breaks next week. Guess what you're doing? Cancel your plans." Um, so I went to Bethesda, everyone else took off and then, uh, where it got kind of the, the nastiest part of this was because of Navy medicine, like I checked in, there's this O3 nephrologist Navy doctor, right? The doctors who get finished school and then come in and now he's sitting at Bethesda 
and he's gonna, he's really excited to do this biopsy because he hasn't he hasn't had a chance to do one like, in practice in like <laughs> yeah. a long time and um or ever I don't know what his deal was and so I checked in and they got me scheduled for like a 6 a.m. biopsy and then the night before this like HM3 comes in to like read the screens and like give me some medicine and he he's like prepping a shot and I'm like I'm not supposed to get any shots but he like won't respond to me and he ends up like throwing the shot in the IV and then I keep pushing. He just gives you the shot. He gives <laughs> me the shot and I'm like, he won't talk to me and then he like I'm like saying I wasn't supposed to get that can you tell me what it was like what's going on and he like looked at the screen and then left. <laughs> it was like, it's like 2 a.m. and I'm like what's going on. Um, it turned out he gave me a blood thinner that was meant for like the patient across the hall. Oh my gosh. And they're like oh man we caught this mistake well at least we know you have it. And I said, well, we got surgery in, like, three hours. Yeah. And you just give me a blood thinner. They're like, well, you know, it should be okay. The doctor really wants to just go th- ahead and do it. Like, uh, should be is not kind of the answer I want to hear. <laughs> they did it. And uh, this really wild thing happened where I had a ton of internal bleeding. So, yeah, they, they should not have done it. Oh, my it. gosh. <clears throat> the internal bleeding kind of filled up my stomach and, like, organs were shutting down. Oh, my gosh. So, like, that's where kind of got dicey and the doctors were like there like he's he's clearly never gonna have a navy career if he recovers and oh, like, it's like jesus man yeah um, but i did that the chaplain from navy actually came out and picked me up <clears throat> i had to stop him like five Wait, times picked you up like to take you back or to take me back okay so he's like <laughs> was it one of those this guy's bad enough i'm just gonna read him his they, last i right. got a little stable <laughs> Say his last rights on the way back to annapolis in well, case he I, I guess they stabilized me first. So I, I didn't make it back after spring break quite with everyone else. I stayed there. Um, I'd fill I, up. I do remember you were gone for a little bit. Yeah. And Okay. I Whatever think, time it was. It, yeah. I, I remember that. And so one of like, the things that shut down was my kidneys. So I couldn't, <clears throat> I wasn't processing water out. So I just filled up with water. And that, that swelling, you could like push your hand <clears throat> into my head. Dude, I, you, I remember you like, we were joking, like Rich looks like an Oompa Loompa. Oh, it's just from water. Yeah. And so I had like 65 pounds of water just like floating around wherever gravity would take it. So like, um, and then eventually it, it fixed and I got rid of all that water in like a week. And of course we were probably still making fun of you because like you were a shit rider. Endlessly. You can't chop. Endlessly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're using the elevator and not the stairs. Endlessly. But I lost all that and, uh, had been pretty sick. So I ended up looking like way more fit. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like two weeks later than I did in the beginning. <laughs> the greatest weight cutting ever. And I was like, I should have photographed this whole thing and Before sold it to Subway. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> I would have been huge. Just if I eat one sandwich in the middle, I could attribute it to that. Um, I eat six inches. Six inches. <laughs> yeah. Turkey sub. Every one day. sub, 65 pounds. <laughs> easiest weight loss ever. Um, but I didn't. But so it was, it was drug treatment, which again, in the middle of plea beer, it was kind of a pain. Um, but I was just trying to fight to stay at that point. Yeah. And um, were they trying to medically, like medically? Kick, it was like kick an open question. Or, yeah. Like, right. can he serve? Is the ultimate question. Like, are right. you gonna pass the screener at the end? And I'm like, it's just like, <clears throat> I got some time. About, right. Yeah. yeah. Let me three years out. Yeah. And I'm failing chemistry right now. So let me worry, chill, let me chill. cross the bridge first. That's exactly right. Um, but it was so it was a weird time. One of the upsides was I got a fridge chit. Yeah. I had to have a special right, diet. You're not allowed to have any of that. Oh yeah. Here. So I, I became. I'm sure uh, they can have them now, but I yeah. moved up to like the one spot in the roommate draft roster. For, <laughs> yeah. Um, Everybody wants to live with rich. <laughs> yeah, man. You get that in-room fridge. Um, 
Just go down to dry dock, <laughs> chicken tenders all day, put them in there. Yeah, a little Foreman grill in a fridge or yeah. set. Um, so it was, it was, a, it was a wrinkle. I didn't think about it much. Like it took a couple rounds of drug treatment, and then it kind of stabilized, and things just kind of went back to normal. They stopped bringing up the commissioning issues, and like just take your classes. Um, and it was, I think, how were similar- how were classes going at the. How was plea beer for you? Plea beer it was, tough. Was, it was tough for me. So I, I said, like, I love school. I was I was one of those guys. I tested really well. I could learn stuff quick. In high school, I I kind of over-indexed on this image of not having to work for anything, <laughs> that it would just come easy, and I thought right. it made me cool. Um, and it, it kind of worked. You can get – I was able to get great grades in high school, and I thought I could do the exact same thing at Navy. Um, I also had this idea that – like, oh, there's going to be all this really hard stuff and challenging, all this military junk. So if I start out looking like I'm not very good at school, then I can give, like, a mediocre effort and get credit as if I'm working my ass off, right? Like, there's I'm going to set the bar really low. I think that works in a lot of ways. <laughs> so that, like, you start yeah. a new relationship. Do you, like, pretend to botch the ironing of the shirt so Dude. that she... Do you buy flowers the first time or do you kind of wait? Because then you're yeah. saying. <laughs> you set a low bar. It's easy to overcome. But I, I miscalculated on at Navy. I um, That first grading period, I had like a .08 <laughs> or something. The square root. Cool. Yeah. 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 Um, or the, Isn't that what it's called? Yeah. The square root of my GPA was higher than my GPA. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, in my head, I thought there's a path back to like B's and A's really. But I was wrong on some of them. I was yeah. very wrong on chemistry. I was there's no path back from that. Um, and it really like I I don't think I think I finished at like what was your mid threes or what was your major? What did you end up majoring in? English, which is <laughs> again I'm like a math and science guy, and it feels it was a cop out. Now I I I regret it, but I will say. But is it so? I I thought about this. I mean, because you have to take. I, I was the same. I was political science, and I've wrestled with that in my mind since then i should have done at least general engineering or something like that and i'm not saying this i'm not making an excuse i still i wish i would have done that but looking back on it also compared to other colleges you're definitely taking engineering core heavy more than anybody else so you get a bachelor's of science i'm not saying i'm anywhere near being an engineer but i feel like we've been exposed to more math and science than other folks it's different i think I was a math and science kid. Like my, I was stronger there. I was more interested in literature and still kind of was always like, was constantly writing at the time. I was, I really was interested in it. But I mean, it's great. It, it's great for being an officer, right? Like, it's a valuable skill set. I think. I think one, the service academies, academies while not liberal arts schools might be the only schools you should ever major in english in because you actually have a job guaranteed on the outside um two it is a valuable skill set as as an officer to be able to communicate effectively as an intel officer it was a a differentiator people take the same information and who can present it the best Mm -hmm. often can can have an advantage i think you can develop that skill without majoring in english Um, and i think the value of the engineering would have been greater long term but at the time, I was I was saying the same thing. Like, I'm going to get math and science anyway. This allows me to be more well-rounded. But if I had a kid going in the Navy today, I would not give him that luxury. I would, maybe I will. Maybe I'll, my heart will yeah. change by then. But I feel like the sound advice is like, 
it might suck. It might not be as easy, but like lean into this, the engineering. Um, okay. So English major had a tough time, plebe year, weren't sure, weren't sure medically you were going to be able to, to serve, which kind of leads us to the part of your story where I always laugh to myself. And when I tell people like who haven't met you, I'm always like, it's the guy Basically, uh, like my friend was told, you're not good enough to be an unrestricted line officer yeah. because of your health. So you're going to go Intel and you go Intel and like right after graduation, they're like, by the way, we need guys to go with like the spec ops guys and spec war guys. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to so the Battle of Amati. You're, yeah. <laughs> so you're the first guy to go like into enemy, right. like, yeah, enemy um, territory for the class of 05, I feel like. It's... It's comical. It's it's a commentary on their selection process. I, I get that we're here to create line officers. I was I stayed ahead in math and science, and it, it seemed like everybody else got fun summer assignments in, like, Japan or San Diego, and every summer I was, like, an underway sub in the Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> like, I got the hint that, like, yeah. they wanted me to go. Maybe subs would have been a good fit, but I had zero desire to be on a sub. Um pilot obviously there's a bunch of guys in our class who were pushing pilots um they were very out of the gate clear you, you're not going to fly and i said well what's the reason um well you got this kidney disease and it's in remission but it could come back and i said that's right it could <clears throat> is it going to come back and affect me dramatically in the hour or two that i'm in a plane before i can land and seek treatment or is it more likely to come up on like a six month swove deployment and let's be honest like you stand a higher chance to be a helicopter pilot nowadays. So it's like, I'm only flying three hour missions at most. So so I feel like I got a good chance. I'm not flying like an eight hour Hornet mission, you know? (laughs) It didn't make sense, but I think they have tough screening for for pilots. So that was off the table. And as they kind of whittled the options, I went back. And I think the same experience um, that other folks have had. I said, well, what is, it seems like all the gravity is saying you can do nothing but surface warfare. And I didn't want to do surface warfare. Um, and so I looked at the restricted line options and Intel seemed the most appealing. And so I pushed really hard before senior year. I actually tried to finish my classes early so I could do this internship at ONI, which I thought would help with the Intel selection. Um, so I was able to do that. I fit in this extra assignment for an internship, which amounted nothing more than like, <laughs> first of all, they assigned me, this is like a small little side story. They put me at first with the group that, of like JOs working in the submarine shop. And they're submariners who finally don't have to sit on a submarine. So they're just home <laughs> making babies. They showed, they showed up at like 1030. They'd start lunch at like 1115 and sit in the cafeteria for two hours and then work out and go home. They were, and they said, there's this project we want you working on. It's not due till next, uh, it's not due for like nine months. So we're going to start working on it in like eight months. So, so we don't really have anything for you to do. So, um, so that was my internship. But it, it, um, it got... But then it, it ramped up pretty quick. It did. So the Intel selection was great. There was ended up being like, I think, nine guys from our class in okay. 05 that um, went down there. So we were mostly all in school together. And they created that 
<clears throat> this into alpha position with the SEAL teams while we were there. What's can you, for everybody that doesn't know, like what N2 so, means, that kind of thing? So of the, the kind of the J codes for the joint environment, and then each service branch has kind of codes. So typically one is admin, two is intel, three is ops, four is logistics. So okay. the N2 for most Navy units is the intelligence Okay, officer. so the intelligence. The like, command intelligence The intelligence officer. department, so yeah. to speak. Okay. For a long time, the, the SEAL teams had operated geographically and kind of self self supporting right they weren't they didn't have the SO qualification or designation SO. then the special operator wasn't your enlisted designation <clears throat> so you would have HMs and boatswain's mates and intel specialists that would go through buds and become seals and oh, then okay. they would kind but of they had already had the training to be like a medic and all that okay yeah. and that's changed you'd have to time. you'd have to enlist and pick a, one of the available ones and then qualify for buds okay. once you got there then they'd assign out positions and intel was done by ISs and they'd get support from like a from the group but when the deployments kicked up <laughs> for Afghanistan and Iraq, they kind of shifted to this repeating deployment schedule every you know, six months, every two years, then 18-month workups, and they needed more intel support. So if, a few years before, they um, created actual N2 positions at each SEAL team, so 03, 04 billet. And then while in 05, they created the N2 alpha positions, which was... We're gonna have an O one, O two, like an for people that don't know, like very junior officer, like an yep. ensign or yep. second lieutenant. That's right. Okay, um, in support of the command intelligence officer, O three, O four, and lieutenant, lieutenant commander. Right. So higher middle level manager. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I got one of a lot of us actually from that from our Navy class got assigned these billets, and then my the orders I was randomly assigned happened to be to Team Three, which was like the first to attach. And I get there um, January of 06, and they're packing up to go to Ramadi. Or they're packing up to go to Iraq, and then about a week before we hopped on the plane, they said, hey, actually, we're shifting from – I got assigned to Task Unit Bruiser. Um, headquarters was going to be in Fallujah. Bruiser was going to be um, in Habania, and then it was going to be Fallujah. At the last minute, they said, Ramadi's looking interesting. You're going to Ramadi. So Bruiser was uh, Jocko Willink, um, who's got his own empire now. He's taking yeah, over the world. I feel like a lot of our <clears throat> listeners probably know know who he is. So he was the task unit commander. He, okay. um, so he, he put on 04 for the deployment. Um, and we had... Another like, English major, actually. So USD, yeah. like 4-0. He did not have my... <laughs> to start low. He's, he's Dude, the guy's incredible. Um, but he... First time I met him, he comes into like the, we did like an officer's meeting in the morning and he hadn't been there my first couple of weeks. And then he came in and like my alligator brain kicked in and I like walked out of the room. It's just like survival instinct. <laughs> like, I don't know who he is, but my chances of survival are higher if I'm not around him. Um, he is, he, he is Jocko. Like if he's been playing that role for a long time. <laughs> We find out we're going to Ramadi, and <clears throat> everything's new. We have to kind of retool and figure out the mission. You're like an ensign. Just... I'm an ensign. I don't know anything. <laughs> You're just like six months out of graduation. They just the taught me Academy. some PowerPoint presentation <laughs> skills. Like I added sound to it. Isn't that cool? I, <laughs> when I, can... I click the next slide. <laughs> I made sure that the that the shadows were right on the, the pucks on the slide. Um, so we start, I start building them out a threat brief <clears throat> for Ramadi. Like, hey, we're going. I got to get you all set up. All I, all I knew how to do was build a 100-point PowerPoint presentation to tell him about Ramadi <clears throat> with all of my wisdom. Um, and he, so he walked into 
my office and I had like the, the computer pulled up and I'm going to start my presentation. I had um, just a overhead image of the city of Vermont to like the, the cover slide. Mm-hmm. And I start talking <coughs> and he stops me after like 15 seconds. He's like, hey, stop. He's like, <coughs> where are the worst guys? And I kind of circled part of the map in the lower left, lower right side. He's like, great. We'll go there and we'll kill him. And he like <laughs> left the room. <laughs> It's like what just happened, <laughs> and like that's the Battle of Ramadi. Like that's that's how it happened. We got there, and he, we stared at that part of the map long enough. Got a goal. So yeah, I think I I don't know for a fact. I think one of at least one of the first guys from our class to deploy. Like by so as they said, you can't deploy. You're not good enough to deploy. Yeah, and you restricted go. line. Yeah, um, and you're in it from the get go. Yeah, and all of you guys, by the way, same. We weren't doing anything. Salary. Yeah. Playing volleyball yeah, we're, in Pensacola, doing a phone muster once a week. I mean, it's like knowing this and the disparities between it, uh, it just it really... It's not bitter at all. Um, for for me, I don't know. I mean, I, harbor, I have a lot of feelings about, yes, my experiences as a junior officer. Personally, these aren't... <clears throat> it's just for me. I don't want to uh, attribute these to anybody else. But knowing those kind of things now, I'm, I harbor a fair amount of guilt. I think so. Thank you, first off, for <laughs> poking I, it with a stick. No, just for for being out there and doing it. The the real hard work. Um, I mean, you're with guys. You can talk if you don't mind talking a little bit more. You yeah. worked with some of the guys that are pretty. Again, we have it was a big task. Written by books, and you know, you worked with Chris Kyle a little bit. And, Chris and was and one of those ISs that had been tasked with doing intel before, and probably. Um, he had no interest in doing the intel, right? So he was already the legend at that point. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was amazing to. What was your like day to day interactions with these guys? So you were like, they would come in, you would supply them with whatever intel you're getting from your different sources. So to just help prep for, for missions that yeah. that night, that day, whatever. It was a diverse mission. So contextually, I'm an ensign who knows nothing, right? And I'm learning. So I've just my whole mindset was, <coughs> show up, shut up like do whatever you can to help right and yeah. so um they it looks very different supporting a direct action mission versus surveillance versus you know what ended up becoming kind of this, this clear and hold effort and um it was one of the best experiences to shock that subpar work ethic out of me that i think i tried to maintain through the academy yeah. and i'd gotten a lot better about putting my head down and working but the example that all of them set and just like the professionalism and the the focus on doing the mission and like can you i hate to ask this but can you give an example of that because i feel like we use a lot of these terms and attribute that to to some great performers like perfect they were professional and you know like what what does that look like what does that really mean um well it, it doesn't look like the context of a story. It doesn't you know, look like, like the professionalism that the uh, gunnery sergeants at the academy were pushing. <laughs> um, it was about doing your job like to the highest level possible because other people's lives depended on it. So I just watched like the the what they demanded of each other. And there was a saying that they they were throwing around a lot at the time, like earn it every day. And for them, they were talking about their trident, right? Like just because you got a seal trident, yeah. like you got to earn it again today. Yeah. Um, and they. <coughs> they but demand in general it. earn your spot to be part of the earn team. Earn your spot, yeah. The it's you know it's, it's a you know an awesome responsibility of what we're here and what we're doing, the mission we're we're given, and they just demanded more. There's so much less tolerance for mistakes, and if you make them, you got to own up to them and not make them again. 
Um, and so it, for me, it was, a, you know, I worked about 20 on, four off every day for that deployment, which was something I could only do as a, you know, 22-year-old. Yeah, with that a, young. <laughs> and a case of Rip It energy <laughs> drinks every day, which I, my esophagus has never recovered. That's the reason you're golfing. <laughs> yeah, it's just to this day. Um, like, just dip and rip it. Um, so it would be, yeah, either helping to pl- support missions that they were planning, the prepare for the threats, um, identify the targets to actually go out, pull the intelligence picture together, run the you know interrogation of the materials or the people that would be on target. Um, so you're running like your own teams as well because you're not going out and getting this stuff. Like you're not lacing up your boots and walking out they in trusted the town trying me. to find stuff or interact with the locals. You're getting it from other people who specialize yeah. in that kind of Yeah, I was the collection. targeting officer, the all-source intelligence officer at that point. So it was, I was not specialized in intelligence collection, um, but in pulling the whole picture together. And I was brand new. They didn't trust me at all. When they first, I got there, they issued me like an M16. They're all running around with the best M4s on the planet, right? And they're like, this new guy doesn't, we don't trust him to do anything. So it was a big win for me at the end when they would at least trust me to like <clears throat> leave the base and to like do parts of the job um, that I was intended to do. Um, but I had to earn their respect every step of the way and just keep keep showing up. And that but was I think my goal. Shown because you, you talk about how there was a point where somebody got relieved, right? Like your boss, the 0304, and they basically were like, hey, you fill that role. So, so that, you're, you're a young guy, but they still trust you to kind of take on that role of the the senior guy who left. My sense at the time was that um, you needed to be very good at your job and get along with the the team, right? You need to fit the culture and be really good at your job. And the people I saw failing at one of those had a tough time. And my boss, the that 04, was not succeeding in either. <coughs> Mid-deployment, they, they caught him. Said, you're, you're done. Um... And they, they shifted that over to me. So for the next, he didn't backfill them for a while. So rather than, you know, a lot of units in the Navy that might have to wait for a replacement or anything, they said, no, he's, he's not a fit. So they moved him out. We'll find a way. And so I got to do that in two job for the next couple of years coming back from deployment, um, including the rest of that <coughs> that deployment. <coughs> Sorry, man. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, just, you got to show up and do your job, and, and that changed a lot. Like my con- the, the target packages I built evolved just to meet their needs, um, and that <clears throat> what I learned a lot was like if you focus, I don't know if it's a first principles thing, but literally every day it's just like what does Jocko need for his team to go out and succeed? And so, yeah, there were guys like Chris Kyle, obviously the best at what he was doing. Like Johnny Kim was the other sniper in that, that group, right? And he's gone on to do a couple – okay things um the um it was it was a big deployment just the amount of operations they did obviously that group not me that group earned themselves the distinction as like one of the most awarded and i think it all rolled down from jocko so it's it makes sense that he's out there leading this leadership consulting business and writing these books um, because his leadership really permeated every aspect but i mean i feel like For somebody as a young officer to get put in that, yeah, it's kind of a sink or swim. You actually, I mean, you obviously succeeded, terrified. but you succeeded. <clears throat> and like to talk about the uh, what about what a place to learn, you know, from as you say, like the best of the best. Um, 
So I'm sure that had a huge impact on even after that, like going on. On mindset, for sure. My, my approach to my work was deeply informed by that. And I coming back, I... How so? That was the expectation I had of myself forevermore, that I can show up and produce the most meaningful things, you know, in a timely manner with that focus on the mission, the way that they kind of demanded and be willing to flex that I, you know, constantly that the humility that I had being the young guy who doesn't, you know, who deserves to be humble in that group, um, I think carried through elsewhere because coming back, I specialized in, I went through a class um, for human intelligence collection and the DOD had stood up this new program I got to go uh, and a bunch of other folks have gone since. I think it's a really great fit for 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 academy guys and one, but to definitely the JOs at the teams to to move into that role. But the rest of my the next seven years after the team, so I did ten years, three with the teams, and then seven doing kind of this this other stuff. And it was fun being more in an operational role instead of support because like as much as intel for the SEAL teams could be really cool. Like, it is a supporting function. Like, they are the main effort, the secondary effort, the tertiary effort, and the intel is important, but it's supporting. And so focusing more on <clears throat> actually having having responsibility for the mission and the actions to achieve it as, as the operator was actually was really nice. And I think to bring over the same level of focus that, that Jocko instilled, um, and the rest of those guys was, was my mindset. Where I failed was really playing the long game. Um, I became in, like just completely focused on performing at work and then <clears throat> having fun when not at work. And <clears throat> very little balance between the two. Like just always going to show up and do everything I can at work. And then what happens outside of work is just the like filler – so I, I wasn't <clears throat> maturing. I wasn't growing up. I was just working. Um, and so that was one thing that kind of caught up to me at the end, too. Like, just I wasn't taking a real deep dive on my, you know, investments for the future mm-hmm. or going to school. I didn't think about the, the JPMA stuff yeah. Or, yeah. <clears throat> or what I wanted to do after the Navy. It's just I've got a fun job. Go do it. Yeah. And I think, um, again, with the hindsight of age, um, since I'm old as fuck, um, <laughs> it's just that to maintain that balance, I would have been able to enjoy a longer, more fulfilling intelligence career. I got out of 10 having done all the jobs I wanted to do. I, there was more to do if I was mm-hmm. together at home. But I just I hadn't made any progress in, like, being a grown-up outside of work um and so in yeah 2015 i kind of got out through the med med board process okay my back never really recovered from those deployments and i was like well i can i i used my last assignment at ONI. i was like oh i'm close enough here i'm not deploying in right now i can go start getting treatment once they started looking at it they're like we might need you might need to retire and uh so you can either pretend like nothing's wrong and keep going, or so it was more a more function of medical than yeah, it was medical. Than yeah, yeah. So again, it's one of those things. If you want to be in it for the long run, you got to take care of your body. Yeah. And I, <clears throat> I have friends. Who Had didn't. you did you see any like combat action? 
while you were there. Yeah, but I mean, what my job wasn't to be in the front with right. the gun. No, but but I was. Did uh, you have to go out on it? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah. I'm like in the back, right? Yeah. But um, also a lot of training. I'd say it's a lot of wear and tear through training, and uh, but no, I'll never claim that I'm beat up because <clears throat> I was in the in the in the shit in Ramadi. Yeah. But yeah. I was like repeated. I was repeated shit adjacent. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tangentially. Yeah. I, that was, the smell was overwhelming. Um, no, I, I just, I didn't do the rehab and like take it easy. Yeah. I just kind of take ibuprofen and, and keep going. Um, yeah. I think part of it might have even gone back to the academy. I definitely screwed my back you've, up. I, well, gym. I mean, since like, since then you've definitely pivoted, right? I know you're saying like in hindsight, but you yeah. have done a lot, right? Like you're very focused now on, oh, on yeah. health and yeah, the I mean, whiplash. Phys- physical, mental, all of that, right? Yeah, the whiplash. I, yeah. My total whiplash went to like, I, I'm like a vegetarian. I don't drink. <laughs> I get good sleep. Like caffeine's like the, my last, last resort. indulgence now. <laughs> um, so as, once, I cr- as I crush a black, my, my third coffee. Once, day, I, <laughs> once I switched to, I figured the last step is just water only, and then I'll be the most boring person <laughs> alive. Um, but no, it is about roots. And it became very quickly for me like... Um, about relationships and putting down roots and kind of building a family, which I didn't feel like I was in any position to do while I was yeah. out, you know, serving. So it was, yeah, and I got out, got an MBA. Like, what's the career going to be? How'd it where'd go? you, and where'd you go? Talk about that. Yeah, that my decision. last tour was in D.C. at 09. So I um, kind of wasn't sure what getting out I wasn't in control of that process. This wasn't like I picked a yeah. date when I'm getting out. They're, they're like, you're getting out. <laughs> so it was kind of last minute, and I, I thought business school was a great way to, like, get smart and prepare. Um, Make a million dollars. <laughs> so they say, <laughs> waiting, still waiting. Um, so I applied to, a, like, it was third round for all the schools, and I dropped. Um, I just took a GMAT. on I signed up and went and took a GMAT. <laughs> Um, and applied for, for third round schools. And I got into Georgetown and a couple other, um, which is yeah, no big deal. I just went to Georgetown. It, it was <laughs> like phenomenal that school. There was a couple others that I would have had to move for. Um, but I was dating my then my now wife. Um, so I, I stuck around and went to Georgia. I also liked that their focus was on like, not purely profits, but also like purpose, um, the kind of the Jesuit tradition and like, how is your business affecting the side, which I think, um, for all of its, for all of the wear and tear, there's nothing better than in the, waking up in the military and knowing that <clears throat> the job you do is just wrapped in purpose and, and yeah. service. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I would miss that if I didn't have it. Um, so, yeah, I just we like I said, I went try to refit and tried to prepare. I, I thought it'd be easier to leave the military, Georgetown MBA, and get yeah. like an amazing job. It's not. It's tough. They were not throwing them at me, no. <laughs> uh, which was disappointing. Surprisingly, <laughs> um, I landed at Illumina for a while out in San Diego, a huge biotech firm. Um, That's right. I remember you doing that. But now you're, <coughs> you since it, no, I tried to go to startups. Sen- I yeah, open. but the sense of purpose and all that—that's kind of at the foundation, I think, of what your of your company. That's right. right. Can you so, talk a little bit about joint joint homes and how that started? Yeah, in the process of trying to put down those roots, I became was learning more about the opportunity cost of service and like, yes, I made missteps, but also there's just in challenges while you're serving to like moving every two or three years comes with a lot of costs and kind of limits your ability to do some long-term planning. There are outliers. Did you, did you, you never bought any place. I didn't did buy, like, right? San Diego, San Diego is a J-O. Right in 2008, probably the perfect time for us to buy. I was there in 06, 07, 08. Yeah. Um, 
San Diego. Then I PCS to Afghanistan for a year. Couldn't buy it. Then I lived in Germany for two years. Can't buy it. You didn't want to buy anything in Then I came in to D.C. Now, D.C. <laughs> in 2012 when I got there actually would have been a good time to buy if I had been clear. I didn't. But like a lot of folks, I don't know where I'm going to be next. I don't yeah. I haven't. I hadn't been thinking about it. I think until folks usually start having families um, or, or occasionally like more army guys, I think, are in markets where buying is much more achievable. Um, yeah. if, if when I first got to San Diego, homes cost $200,000, I might have looked at buying one. But yeah. um, So, no, I hadn't bought a place. And in, in trying to buy one in the D.C. area, I was like, why is this so hard? And it's trying to understand the cost of service. Really, we, we spend more. 60% of service members can't afford their housing. They're rent burden. How many? 60%. And what do you mean by in burden? <clears throat> are spending more than they can afford. So the, the threshold there is actually like 40% of your income is going towards housing. Okay. Um, I mean, you were talking, <coughs> you were giving me numbers the other day, right? About how many people are at. 25% are food insecure. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, food, yeah. yeah. So. Can you, like, what, what do you mean by food insecure? So that that's one of those, like, nebulous things and how they define it. But it's literally is that your, look at it as a proxy for your monthly cash flow is uncertain. You don't have your hands around your basic costs and, like, don't have a solid financial foundation. Some of the other metrics that kind of... And this is across all services, yeah. not just like Navy, yeah. right? All, okay. yep, everybody. Um, there's some nuanced differences between the two, just like Air Force tours are a little bit longer on average than Marine, is, Marine Corps is the shortest. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the majority don't have $500 to spend on an emergency, right? More than half leave service with less than $5,000 in net worth, right? So it's just that it it costs... It's not easy to build a solid foundation for your financial future while you're serving and experiencing all these excess costs. Um, And so I looked at the primary driver of that. It's your largest expense. It's housing, right? You're making these moves. You don't know the markets. Um, You have to find housing kind of in a hurry. And there's all these little reasons that impact it, but you're, you're paying more than you would have otherwise if you had total control over when you moved and where you moved. And that housing also touches on every other aspect of your life where you're getting your child care, your other health care for your family, um, you know, your schools. So it's a, it's central. And so it's, yeah, I started joint to say, we, we think we can build a proprietary group of homes for to house military folks across their careers because the individual's path's uncertain, but the military as a whole has a constant footprint with a cost, constant housing demand and BH dollars flowing into specific markets in an exact amount that's growing at a you know prescribed rate every year <clears throat> so you can build and meet that need in a you know in a, in a closed way and then kind of retool the value structure so that the tenants the residents can benefit financially so if you real estate i always assumed was super efficient because it's the largest asset class in the world but it turns out there's a fair amount of inefficiency <laughs> in it um that that works to benefit a lot of incumbent industries but um yeah, the the really core idea is you, you set it up and treat it like if, if Doug and Adam buy a place and then they can rent it out to you when you're in flight school for the next six months. You trust them. They trust you. You're taking better care of each other. There's more value in that relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not leaving and going to pay the marketers and the other agents. Right. So that basic concept extrapolated means we can just – we can run a good property group <clears throat> where the members, the residents can – replicate the kind of financial benefits of a mortgage without being in a mortgage. 
And so we've been standing that up. It's become a... So like I, if I'm, for example, like if I am a new service member and I'm being told I'm moving to, um, to North Carolina, right? Um, and then I come across your, your company, what's the pro like I reach out, I, I, I want to understand like, how does this work? Yeah. Right. So, so what is going on? Am I buying, like, am I buying a home? Can you explain that a little bit? It's the other part was trying to make it as simple as possible. You got enough other stuff worrying about your first job. Um, you're going to be asked to find your own housing. Here's how much you're going to be getting in your housing allowance. Um, you can rent, you know, so what we do know is that someone like you typically lives in a unit that looks like this. So maybe a young J.O., it's an apartment or townhome, depending on the market. So you can rent that off the market, go to Z Craigslist. Yeah, find the owner, find a property management company or whatever. If and you can afford it, you can you can buy it and then sell it two or three years later when you're done with that assignment um, at a loss, paying those realtor fees. Or you can rent the same place from us for the same price as renting it from someone else and get 10% of your rent rebated back in a new wealth building benefit. Essentially, it's going to, the same way a mortgage, kind of you pay that and some amount sits over here and builds right. over time. Yeah, It's a forced savings mechanism. That's why it works. It's like if it was... Cash in your checking account has a way of being spent. People spend. Yeah. <laughs> um, the mortgage has been one of the primary builders of family wealth for decades because you can't just touch it. Um, right. You kind of forget about it and by design. So to take, you're going to pay your rent just like normal. We're going to do our best to take great care of you while you're living here. And 10% of what you're paying on rent is going to build over here. Some appreciation. Um, and then when you leave, if we can help you at your next duty station, we'd love to. If you want to tell other people about your experience it'll save us money in acquiring that next member um and that's so you guys you're buying the homes yeah and i'm just i'm coming in renting from you yeah. but you're taking my rent as if i was applying it to a mortgage payment and giving and i'm paying down mortgage and gaining equity that i could then hopefully turn around and sell my house at a profit i'm saying that if i own the place and rent it to you i think i can get ex excess profits by offering you a better experience and a, and a benefit that you'll take better care of the place. You'll tell other people about it and you'll have longer leases. <clears throat> I'll carry less vacancy. And from that extra money I make compared to a different property group, I'm going to take a large part of that and I'm going to give it to you because you're the one. <laughs> are, you, are you guys investing it in an investment vehicle on so, the side? So it gains. So right gains now interest. it's sitting on balance sheet. It's not invested. What I'm looking to move it to is actually something more like a bond. It's actually sitting in the portfolio generating a return, relatively low risk. Um, so it's just, it's just the mechanics of how that's delivered and the cost to register with the SEC. But um, so the, the premise should be as simple as you're going to rent. Would you like to build a benefit along the way? Um, it should be a no-brainer, right? It's part of the beauty of USAA, I always thought, was they um, – I don't know about you, but I signed the, the career start alone <laughs> yeah, paperwork because say. someone was going to give me money. Right. I had no idea I was joining I, USAA. Right. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. Suddenly I had a new <laughs> credit card, right? I had a Navy Federal I card. I got all this money. I got thirty grand. Yeah. I'm going to buy a Porsche. <laughs> I know I had a Navy Federal account, and then suddenly I had a USAA account with all this money in it. So I didn't know I was joining USA, and I've never thought about leaving. So they did something right. Right. right? Like you, you didn't have to think about joining, and you never thought about leaving. Right. Um, so yeah, if we can just build to make it a default to say, hey, you're gonna, um, we can all come out ahead if we align our interests between re residents and 
owners. Now, to, to launch it, we've also dabbled with what it looks like in a managed property model that we don't own. It's a little harder to carve that value out. Um, talking now with some larger groups about kind of nesting it under a large joint venture that a lot more dollars could flow into. Um, but in general, I think housing is an issue for a lot of Americans, and this is the, the time, the next five years, for new models of ownership, literally like new ways to think about ownership if you can't afford to buy or new pathways to ownership by lowering some of the affordability. I've, I've, there's a whole lot of reasons why home ownership is that kind of key pillar in the American dream is at risk, I think. And for the mil America's military, I think that's especially important. Um, one, if you're food insecure and you're financially insecure, you're less able to focus on your job. And I'm sure when you went up in the helicopter and looked down, you saw a hundred people who needed to focus on their jobs, right? <laughs> yeah. And if you look to your left and right, like everybody needs to be focused. And if a carrier air group goes out with 6,500 people, you can't have 1,800 of them worried about their family eating that night yeah. and, and feel good about them like standing their watch. Um, so it's an important in the short term, also long term, like that little bit of wealth building goes a long way. And the sooner you can get people on that train and like having their minds around the future in a way that I did not while serving, mm -hmm. the, the more economic opportunity they'll have later in life to get out and not hope that you're lucky enough to get into an MBA program, but actually have enough means to take your time and see where, where do I want to live? Do I want to start a business? Do I want to go back to school? Like, so the, the dollars $40,000 you might build with joint homes <clears throat> in 10 years as, as a, as a member is a lot of benefit when you get out to either put down on a home you want to buy or just make some other you know pursue some other goal is it is it just you that's i mean you're not a team of one right you have i have some folks um i'd started it with a west point grad who i went to yeah. a business school with and worked with afterwards um he's moved on to something else um so right now we're kind of in a fundraising mode that would you know getting over the this next milestone in fundraising would allow us to build the team out more, but we're pretty lean. Um, we're, we're just in two markets right now and outside Fort Bragg and Fort Hood. I'm sorry. I think it's uh, Fort Hood's now Fort Cavazos. Fort Bragg is like Fort Liberty. Um, so, yeah, North Carolina, Texas. So it's pretty thin. Again, like I said, it, the, the timing is, is key, but this real estate world is tough, man. And you, I mean, you didn't have any experience doing it before, no. right? None. Yeah. So you probably, I mean, you've learned a ton. It's a steep learning from this, yeah. So it's the same way, like my, my second deployment with the SEAL teams in Southeast Asia, we weren't asked to go and bring the fight to the enemy the way we were in Iraq. Um, so in order to push back against the influence of transnational terrorist groups in Southeast Asia, you need something other than you know, if we're not using guns, then it's literally how do you build a coalition? How do you find their center of gravity and attack it in a way that's meaningful? And if it's freedom of movement, okay, well, now I know I have to attack your freedom of movement in some creative way. That's what this was with joint. I landed on housing not because I love housing or knew anything about real estate. It just happens to be the center of gravity affecting these folks. And so it's been a steep learning curve, man. But um, it's it's fascinating. Um, yeah. And, and the last thing I'll say on joint, because I talk about it all the time, um, it people are throwing their hands up and saying they can't do it anymore because it's just become too much. 
they don't want to keep their families going through this longer and longer. So retention rates um, have suffered, and it's an all-volunteer force. So your biggest source of recruitment is people telling their nephews, nieces, neighbors to join. Like over two-thirds now say they won't recommend military service. Really? <clears throat> so which we've now seen we missed our recruiting target last year for the first time. Yeah. Um, that's going to take a while to unring that bell because yeah. um, that experience is already baked in for everybody serving today. Um, so even if you've had it fixed today, I think it's going to take us a couple of years to really be healthy on our recruiting. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, joint's not – I mean, joint's obviously more interesting than me, but there's got to be um, more interesting things to talk about. No, no, it's just <clears throat> the whole – because you didn't have any background doing that. <clears throat> it's something that – understanding, like, how you're helping people and the tie-in with what you were talking about, finding a sense of purpose and something you're passionate about, and yeah. that's what for it seems like for you, obviously, helping – active duty and, and veterans in some way and this was like you said this was the thing that you focused on you said center of gravity and it's like you know it's it's meaningful it's like that. Where, where can i make an impact and one of the things is helping them find a path to home ownership which leads to has so many net positives yeah. in a person's life because to your point it's there's so many young guys and girls we serve with that i mean i was Again, fortunate enough that I went to the Naval Academy and was given this, this given this thirty thousand dollar <laughs> loan by USAA to be a vendor captive uh, customer. But um, there are a lot of folks that I remember talking to on deployment. We'd have to have our counseling sessions with some of our sailors, and you know, it's they talked about having home uh, problems back at home, and it was financial problems and asking so what about your savings and they didn't even understand the concept of savings account yeah. or a checking account and you're like how wait what you know um i shouldn't say checking a primarily savings account but knowing that and again to your point i mean it's all a volunteer force these are the people we're depending on yeah. to be um the tip of the spear yeah and and not only that but all rules the entire spear um that's an issue right if the foundation's weak the house can crumble and yeah that's you know on the strength of one link in the cable yeah <laughs> um it should be a bigger focus there should be more resources most of the there's a, an insane amount of organizations charitable organizations focused on helping people when they reach that critical point there's not enough in place to prevent it from getting to that point which is another reason well, like yeah no, are they making them are they availing themselves of the resources that are there um it's not done effectively. Um, and it, I'm thinking in my mind the parallel between there's a lot of people and a lot of talk now of pre like preventative medicine, you know, and healthcare. Yeah. And it's not waiting, you know, like there's the book I'm reading that a lot of guys have probably heard about, but he talks about that and not waiting until you're 65 and, yeah. oh, I have a cardiovascular issue. Yeah. It's like, well, I really should have been starting to look at this and work on this in my late 30s and yeah. early 40s. Because now I'm just putting a Band-Aid on a bullet hole kind of thing. And, yeah. The so I'm finding that, parallel with what, the, you're, what you're saying. Like preventative, not um, – The solution to homelessness isn't, isn't the let's just give free housing at the end. Yeah. It's five steps what's upstream. Yeah, what's causing – exactly. Where were they when yeah. they were making income in their last job? And how were they using that to build savings? And how was – again, homeownership, like you said – it's this really weird switch in our brains. It connects us to our communities and our neighbors. It's a better sense of identity and belonging, which makes you more resilient for dealing with tough things like the stress of combat, right? So if you're doing those things without that support network and 70% of service members say they feel no connection at all to the communities they live in, no, no connection. 
they're like alone dealing with whatever they're dealing with. Um, that's that's the five steps up from now I don't have the support network or the finances and I'm homeless. Um, so that's broadly why like in purpose in business, I think they can go really well together. I certainly don't think every business has to contort itself and it must be an impact organization. That's I do think that you can the most effective solutions to issues affecting society are for profit solutions, not not for profit solutions. Because they're not for profit solutions help alleviate the pain, but they're not sustainable. They require donations every year to re mm-hmm. to redo the same program as last year. Um, whereas solutions that are are built around social innovation in some way and can actually be scalable and sustainable because they're profit generating have the capacity to impact that yeah. over the long term. Um, so that's like what, you, you, you can't just blanketly say something is you know evil because it's for profit. Oh, no, no. Right? No. It's like, no, I mean, that's you can't blanketly I, say that. It's, I do think... There are some for sure, but... No, and most, th- most things are not. Very few things would be. I do think one step in the right direction would be at least understanding where if you're a purely profit-driven organization and, look, your fiscal responsibility to your stakeholders or to your stockholders, not your stakeholders. And so it makes sense that they do what they do. I think it would be great if you thought about more of your, your stakeholders and how you impact the community where you have jobs because you employ people and your vendor relationships. That would be nice. It's not necessary. I do think um, it's great that there are more businesses today looking at how they impact society. Um, and some do it really well. Say, I can be a better business because I have this mission. That was the intent with Join Homes anyway, to say, For sure. I can be a better business because people love rallying around the military and I can get some concessionary rates on debt. I can get some free yeah. stuff from partnerships. So maybe my business will do better because right. of what I'm trying yeah. to accomplish. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard. It's still like, like learning now, coming back to Annapolis has been really great. Left, you know, DC, um, trying to put down more of those roots and, um, reconnect with all of you, um, the rest of the Navy guys and then raise this kid, which is a trip. I was going to say, you know, and like the whole other, you, now you have a wife and you have a kid and yeah. Um, just a little ahead of you. So just four, four, four years old, just the one. I know we've yeah. got some overachievers in the group, um, <laughs> but yeah. um, so far we're doing all right with one. Um, yeah. Yeah, she just started at NAPS, actually. Yeah, congrats, man. That's awesome. Um, What's, uh, I mean, what kind of lessons, you know, just, uh, I mean, girls, we both have, we both have daughters. Um, what are some of the big things, you know, you're, you've taken from the stuff we talked about today, you know, that you, you find yourself applying in the day-to-day with her um i i think i overthink it sometimes um (laughs) it's easy i want her to be at the end of the day i want her to be curious kind and i think it's probably the two most important things obviously i want her to be smart like athletic (laughs) she's not the most athletic today doesn't mean she won't be um she's yeah it's great to see her figure stuff out. And I, a lot of times think like, Oh, here's, here's a moment where I can teach something. And like, yeah. not every moment's a, a teaching moment. Sometimes yeah. like, I think I overthink. Um, yeah. but really like, is she, I, I want to be more engaged, I think, than my parents were. Um, I also feel like 
it's a huge blessing to have this opportunity because, like I said, when I was just focused on work, I had a partner who was 22-year Marine retired, 18-year other agency retired, back in Afghanistan for a fourth year as a contractor. And, like, his whole life was this. And, like, none of the family stuff. And I remember thinking, like, this is – I can lean in and, like, that could be where I end up. And then – I know you talked about medical. Did that have, did that play anything though in, in getting out? Yeah, that was. Yeah. Um, I mean, I. I know it did for me. Yeah, my body was not happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, it's better. It's not great. Like I, I want to go do some jujitsu with you. I worry about like inflaming whatever like scar tissues built yeah. up that allows me to stand up <laughs> we'll be, every day. We'll, yeah. Um, we'll take it easy, don't we? Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're old guys, old man grappling. <laughs> but it's it's still just amazing to me that I get to have this totally, like, I don't say mundane, but, like, I was picturesque in a way, right? I got yeah. a house. I got a kid. She gets to run around. We get to go. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know, like, for very George, um, um, uh, Norman Rockwell. Norman Rockwell. Yeah, gotcha. Not George Rockwell. <laughs> Not George Rockwell. <laughs> Good God, no. Rockwell, the other yeah. one. Um, <laughs> 1984. <laughs> so, no, it feels just awesome. It's like a blessing to be able to just watch her grow up, and it's pretty cool to see things through her eyes. Yeah. But I definitely think I need to chill out, too, and just let her be four yeah, sometimes. No. Yeah. Um, and not overthink I catch it. myself doing that, too. Like, I... I want, her, I want her to explore boundaries and <clears throat> not necessarily – I mean, it's, there's that there's that fine line in the balance. Like, I want her to listen to me, right? Like, when I give – like, there's rules that mom and dad set yeah. and you have to obey them. But also it's like I don't want her to just be blatantly no. like a rule follower. No. And, you know what I, I – She is not – I can get myself in a lot of trouble saying this stuff, but it's no, like you don't I want her to, like, push boundaries. And, like, it's okay. Explore things. You're you know, exactly right. You're exactly um, right. There's because I feel things. like personally myself, I, I feel like that's how I was growing up. I, looking back, that's one of the other things like regret wise. I know we all have a lot of them, but that I follow too many rules. And it's like I, I want her to really just kind of you know, not live on the extreme. Although sometimes now she is. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like there's a market. There's like pride, but also fear, you know, when you see her doing stuff. It's, you don't want to. I don't. I'll speak for me. I don't want to stifle that because it's important to be able to question and again be curious and like try to figure things out not when i need her to get dressed so we can be somewhere on time <laughs> yeah, like that's like, not put on your shoes <laughs> it's not the time i want her to be expressing that um but i think mainly it's just like do I, if she can be like super kind and like empathetic towards other people while being a little terrorist then like that's a small win yeah um <laughs> <laughs> but no it is a, it is a struggle last night i remember <clears throat> a big coffee table and uh, she was getting up on it, and like I perfectly stopped and, and actually pushed her to start jumping off of it. Like she's, <laughs> I think she might be scared to do it that she'll yeah. get in trouble. Yeah, I'm like she, that's exactly what she should right, be doing. Right, right. Yeah. So I'm like, let's just yeah. right now. I just want you for the next 20 minutes, just jump off of this thing, <laughs> just abandon, and I'll just, grit my teeth. Yeah, um, but you deserve this. Um, see what see what you can no, get away with. Ours is the opposite. Yeah. It's like just constantly jumping off of stuff. Yes. And I'm like, do you, do you look down? Yes. There's nothing down there. <laughs> Like, you wonder why it hurt. Like it's because you just jumped on the concrete. Yeah, I love it. It's a it's a treat, man. What I, I think is great mm-hmm. is just seeing every all of us grow up at the same time. And like, I there's no solution to this, but it's always made me sad that like we were like a village, right? Those four years, and it extended in San Diego. A little, we were so close in yeah. each other's lives, and now I don't get to see 
Doug raising yeah. his kids every day. Yeah. Or, and all these, yeah. Yeah, but most folks now having kids now, it's just kind of crazy seeing people grow yeah. up and make career moves. And... I, I, but that's part of part of doing this too, is to just reconnect with, with the guys, like you said, because it would be fun to experience this chapter with that same core set of, of guys and girls that we all know. And um, hopefully in some way, this is kind of, this will be a way to do that. But um, well, you have a little enclave started here in the neighborhood. I, I mean, I'm, I'm like eight minutes away, and I feel like, um, and outside. I was telling Littles um, yesterday, he's got to leave that hurricane alley. Yeah, yeah. We'll just we should all start planning now to like buy out a neighborhood. Oh, are you speaking about uh, Aaron Littles, the CEO of Gale Healthcare? <laughs> the CEO of Gale Healthcare. Um, so you got to leave Florida. Let's just grab a whole neighborhood in San Diego. And yeah. We can like we can play NCAA every night in the garage. Legacy mode. Yeah. Twenty forty five. We are we are getting. I mean, it's, right. but no, I did have one one more question. Um, what uh, I'm trying to make it like a standardized question amongst uh, across the podcast I do, but um, just think of like a time that you know you was there a time you failed at something. What was that, and what did you learn from it? That's a long list. Um, I figured, and I figured it's a good point-blank shoot question because it's kind of tough to answer off the cuff. Yeah, I think I think my look. I I have a lot of regret about the way I managed the transition out of the military. Again, it was a little bit on my back heels um but coming out of the mba program also i didn't put in quite amount of the kind of focus i think i I failed to manage that transition effectively and kind of capitalize on that moment and it was just planning i just didn't plan enough i wasn't ready personally to like make the transition and it's not it's not a mystery it's one of those it's one of those areas in life where like work in equals like impacts results it doesn't mean you get exactly the job you want um, but I drove to San Diego without a job lined up. Like, I'm going to be figuring out when I get there. And like, that's how I lived in high school. Let's just figure it out when I get there. Very much not how my grandfather raised his <laughs> girls, which was like, while you're in college, start a job at the most boring forever industry you can and stay there and do 40 years. <laughs> and then like, never think about anything, just do it. But they all did. And they're all doing, I mean, I don't, I think there's a balance in the middle, um, that I failed to meet. Yeah, I think my grandfather would not have been proud with the way I managed that transition out, um, and kind of the 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 focus I could have had if I'd invested more in it. Okay. Two things I think I I get out of that is there's a long list, right? Yeah. I feel like a lot of people have that, yeah. and then it's a just a part of life. Yeah, and that's something that. I think for me, I'm trying to teach my daughter too, is um, failure. I mean, it has a connotation, I believe, that that's it. Like you fail and that's it. When in reality, it should be viewed. And maybe this is me personally, uh, and I shouldn't speak for everybody. But failure is just a common part of life. And that's how you learn. And you're not going to learn until you fail stuff, right? Yeah. Well, you can, but maybe the better lessons come from when you fail something and you look at why you failed and try to correct that. So hearing you say you have a long list is like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. We all do, I feel like. And then you obviously learn something because 
Yeah. Look at you, man. Now you're starting a company. and <laughs> You know the proverb? Uh, it's a Chinese one. Like, who's to say what's good or bad? No. Um, so um, there, it's about like a farmer. <clears throat> I think he goes back oh, to China. I know. You're, yeah. We'll and then see. like his horse we'll, runs away. We'll yeah. see. We'll, we'll see. see. Yeah. yeah. Horse yeah. runs away. Comes back. Everyone's like, oh, it's the, terrible luck. Comes yeah. back. Oh, you have the best luck. He's like, yeah. oh, we'll see. Who's to we'll say see. what's good or bad? Um, and the boy breaks his, breaks his arm. Oh, we'll see. It's bad luck and then, doesn't yeah. get conscripted. It's True. good luck. I think there's a lot to that. And like the other thing I tell my wife who has a little bit more anxiety, um, I don't really have any. So, but talking to her five years is kind of an easy scope. If you think five years back where we were in our lives, could you have predicted at all any, how much of our life today would you have predicted? How much of that were we working towards actively? It looks yeah. very different. So how do you think today what we're working towards five years from now. Why do you think there's any likelihood that that's what it's going to look like? <laughs> but will we will we be okay? Will we still have our relationships and our, like, will the most important things still be there? And so I, I guess if it's that, then you can let go of the outcomes and just put in the work. I mean, I do also believe start with the end in mind because then at least it helps guide you towards sure. something. But don't be surprised if it doesn't look like what yeah. you pictured, but at least you moved in the right direction. You, you need right. to be working and, with pur- moving yeah. with purpose, but let go of the outcome a little bit. Yeah. I like that, man. I think that's a good way to end it, dude. Thank well, you, thanks. sir. I appreciate you coming on, man, and, and sharing the story. Um, can I have some water now? Yeah, can we go get something to drink? <laughs> so thanks, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did making it, and uh, see you again next time.